The following is a conversation with Professor Norman Neymar. Norman is a professor of history at Stanford University and is a world expert on genocide. He is also the author of the book Genocide, a World History. This wasn't just a theoretical conversation. We didn't just discuss the philosophical aspects of genocide, but we also talked about what happens nowadays in Israel and Gaza. These days, Israel, my country, is being accused of committing genocide against the Palestinians in Gaza Strip. In my opinion, it's an absurd accusation, and we also discussed it as well. As for this moment, some of my friends are still fighting in Gaza, so I have skin in the game regarding this conversation. It was not an easy conversation for me, and I guess it will not be an easy for some of you. So please, just remember the words of Aristotle. The mark of an educated mind is the ability to entertain a thought without accepting it. Hi guys and welcome to my channel. My name is Dr. Roy Yozovic. In this channel I converse with the most influential and important people from all around the world discussing science, philosophy, artificial intelligence, religion, and even more. If you find this conversation interesting, please consider subscribing, hit the bell button, and be part of this lovely community. And now, without further ado, Professor Norman Neymark. Professor Norman Neymark, thank you so much for coming. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Nice to be with you. Yes, it's my pleasure. And we are here because not, uh, uh, not for, I think, very good reasons, because we want to discuss one of your expertise, which is genocide. You wrote a book called Genocide, A World History, which is a br great, brilliant book. But I want to cover uh, the, co the term, the concept, the consequences of the concept with regarding to the current Israeli war. So what I would like to do in our conversation is to go away from the theoretical aspects to the more practical, relevant aspects. Okay? Okay. You okay, want me to so do that? Uh, and, uh, no, let me follow. Uh, uh, okay. Let me lead. Let me lead, okay? So... Uh, <laughs> I think that the most important uh, thing that we need, as you write in the introduction of your book, the term genocide was coined by Raphael Lemkin, which was a Polish Jewish lawyer in 1944. So I think that the first question is, what is genocide? What does it encapsulate? We, we have murder, we have cultural genocide, we have transfer of, of population, we have linguistic genocide. So what does this term consist of? Okay, so um, it's a complicated term, and I think most scholars of genocide, uh, however, would agree that we use the term as it was uh, developed first by Lemkin. Uh, you know, already, by the way, he was working on it in the 1930s before the Holocaust. Um, but as it was developed by him during the war, uh, in the United States after he immigrated to the United States, but then in the United Nations after the war. Uh, and there were a series of resolutions in the United States, I mean, in the United Nations that um, resulted in the Genocide Convention in December of 1948. That convention serves as the basis for our understanding of genocide, how we think about genocide, how we limit what genocide is. And that convention states, roughly, I'm going to paraphrase, you know, that genocide is the intentional destruction 
of all or part of an ethnic, national, racial, or religious group, comma, as such. Uh, and there are a couple of things that are important in that definition. Then it lists a series of acts, you know, that could constitute genocide, you know, including uh, transferring of children, uh, including a deprivation uh, of a nation of its means to uh, uh, exist, not by active killing, but also uh, active killing. Anyway, there are two things that are important about genocide. One is intent. I'm sure you've heard this in the argument about genocide in Israel and outside of Israel. <laughs> you have to have the intention uh, to murder or eliminate or destroy uh, a people. And the second part of the definition that's important is that you destroy it as a group. And that's emphasized both in Lemkin's writings, but also in the uh, genocide uh, convention. And what that means is if you know, you can massacre, uh, you know, a group of people, um, you know, you can uh, starve people, you can do all kinds of things to them. But if you're not trying to destroy them as a group, as a functioning group, um, then uh, it's not genocide. So you have to attack the group, again, as the convention says, comma, as a group. That definition, I want to emphasize just one thing. Uh, that definition evolves over time. It's like, you know, the American Constitution or the Israeli Constitution, about which I know very little. But it's like a constitution. In other words, we don't are... have Israeli Constitution, unfortunately. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, uh, but it's like the American Constitution. Let me oh. Leave it. oh, OK. Oh. Uh, which means that um, it evolves over time. And there are interpretations over time that change the way people think about the content of what genocide is. Let me just give you one brief example and then and go back to your question. You know, the brief example has to do with rape, which, you know, was not considered part of the, you know, this is mass systematic rape, which was not considered part of the original uh, genocide uh, uh, convention. <laughs> But later on, You know, especially in Bosnia and in the courts in Bosnia and in Rwanda, they began to see uh, that systematic rape could be an act of genocide. And so, so now we think differently. You see what I mean? In other words, the law is evolving. I mean, the fundamental, uh, the fundamental international law about genocide is the convention, the December 48 convention, but also it's evolving. Okay, so I have two questions that I want to ask regarding what you just said. The idea of a systematically rape is not I'm raping because I want to have sex with you, is I rape as part of an, a, a degradation process against your people. So if you can please exactly. elaborate on the concept of a systematic in the systematic rape. And the other thing that you said that we have two things that encapsulate the The modern uh, understanding of genocide, one is intent, and the other is treating them as a group, which means, and please correct me if I am if I am wrong, the if you if there is a concept of surrender, you let your enemy to surrender, then no such thing as genocide can be exist because you don't treat them as a group. Am I correct? Okay. Um... Uh, 
if you let your if you're in a war and you let your enemies surrender and you put them in POW camps and then exchange them for others or you return them no that's not uh, that's not genocide at all i mean that's okay. a wartime situation that has nothing to do with genocide uh the other question was about uh uh, uh rape and yes, uh, you're right that that um, I mean, this question of systematic rape, they found in Bosnia, for example, that, um, you know, these rape, there were rape bordellos, there were rape camps, that the way rape was used was a way to diminish the Bosnians and to destroy them, you know, as a national group. So it was an act of genocide. The same thing in Rwanda. Now, you can argue you know, uh, about other cases, whether it was meant or uh, whether it was, um, you know, the unleashing of hatred or resentment what? or revenge. Just a second. Yeah, what the, what the you Russians... You are an Israeli. I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. You explain. <laughs> <laughs> My audience is going to kill me. <laughs> what the Russians did in Germany in 1945, would you consider this as a systematic rape? Or just, no, they were just very hungry for a woman? You know, it's a, it's a very difficult question, actually, that I studied in a different book uh, called The Russians in Germany. I spent a lot of time on this question. And I, I would not, it was systematic, but it was not part of a genocidal campaign. In other words, it has to be part of a larger campaign, uh, which constitutes genocide. It was systematic rape, though. And what happened in the case of the Russians uh, as they attacked uh, the Germans is that all of this hatred and resentment and, and um, uh, uh, bitterness you know, welled up and they took it out really on these German women. Now, uh, 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 part of the problem there was that none of the commanders stopped them. Stalin paid no attention to it. He couldn't have cared less. You know, he said, let the boys have some fun, essentially. And so it was, you know, it was such a bitter, brutal war on the Eastern Front that, uh, you know, the, the generals and, uh, and, and the leadership of the Soviet Union basically didn't stop anything. And it became a really nasty, nasty part of the post of the end of the war uh, for the Germans. You know, you know, we don't know exactly how many, but more than a million, certainly women uh, were raped and in the most brutal fashion. Wow. Uh... My other question, which leads me, you know, I searched for the uh, term Israel in your book, Control F, and <laughs> we got to Amalek, the idea of that there is one people that God uh, forced you or said, these people need to be destroyed. And you said that this is like the most, uh, let me just read it uh, from your book, uh, the most uh, relevant uh, a, a example of genocide in uh, in the ancient world and the idea of oh tell one no, of the most po powerful story of genocide in the old testament and indeed in human history okay right. so my question is what happened before the uh, term was coined because mass murder was part of human history ever since the dawn of humanity so how did we tweet mass murder before that the term genocide was invented. 
Okay. I, I, you know, I think that what you can do and what I tried to do in that book was talk about cases of mass murder that could be considered genocide by our contemporary definitions of genocide. By that, I mean, you know, the, uh, certainly there were massacres, right? Terrible massacres. I talked about the Mongols too. Um, and, and these terrible massacres that occurred in the ancient world sometimes can be considered genocidal in the sense that you're trying to destroy all of the people, right? In the case, as, as you know, of the Amalekites, you know, the Hebrew God said, get them all, you know, men, women, children, animals, right? And, and, uh, and um, that kind of uh, attempt to destroy the wholeness of a people as such, you know, they will not be an Amalekite people anymore, is not is something that occurs in the ancient world. Now, by the way, we don't really know what happened in the Old Testament happened, right? I mean, that's, uh, you know, these are rabbi stories from later on, but that they could conceive, you know, of that kind of attack on another people convinces me, you know, that uh, people understood what genocide was in, in the ancient world, you know, and this we're talking now about pre-Greek, right, and, and pre-Roman, um, they understood what this was and that it occurred sometimes. And we just don't know a lot about what happened. The Bible is stories. I mean, it's it's the Old Testament is stories. And these stories then are there, but they're there because um, uh, they've heard it from other people and they know of other instances. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I, we, I beg to differ in some parts. I, I think that uh, it, I tweet some I tweet the Old Testament uh, differently but I think the idea is that even according to Orthodox Jews today when they tweet the concept or the story of Amalekites they know that this is a very strange and unique example usually you don't do it I mean, the idea of 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 el elimination of 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 people without an exception it is very rare and you only do it to one very particular nation that you know nothing about. We don't know who the Amalekites are, but we will come back to that later on, uh, which I think leads me. I, I wanted to ask you about eliminationism, but before can be an, a, a mass murder without being called genocide. And I want to give just one example because Russia starving Ukraines, I think right. maybe a good example because they didn't want to kill all Ukraines or Russia brutal attack on Ukraine today. It is against the international law, but can you call it genocide? Okay, so we have two. Uh, I, I assume you're you're referring in the former case to the 1932-33 family, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So, so I've written about that, and, and um, I believe that that was indeed genocide. In other words, what the what the what the Soviets did, you know, what Stalin did was to try to break the back of the Ukrainian nation using the famine of 32-33 as a way to do it. Now, people will argue differently about it. I've written another book, by the way, called Stalin's Genocides, which talks about this particular case. Um, so I don't want to go into detail, but it's hard, you know, to um, figure out the intent of Stalin and the Soviet leadership, but we have enough evidence to show that he was really, uh, they were really uh, upset 
and angry at the Ukrainians for what they had, for their resistance against collectivization, um, that they wanted to uh, stop uh, the growth of Ukrainian national feeling, which they himself, by the way, had encouraged in the 1920s, but by the 1930s didn't want to see. And so that this was used, the famine was used, again, to break the back of the Ukrainian peasantry, which was seen, you know, as the source of Ukrainian national feeling. They also killed, by the way, large numbers of intelligentsia, even party leaders, so that Ukraine was was the nation in some ways was destroyed by what they did. So it's certainly an attempt to destroy, right, in whole or in part, uh, this Ukrainian nation. In kill them all, there's no, there's no um, intent to kill them all. There's no idea that they need to get rid of every Ukrainian, but what they need to do is get the nation as a nation so that it ceases to have its own will. And that was 32-33. I think that what's going on in Ukraine now is more complicated. Some people will argue uh, that what the Russians are doing is um, is uh, genocide. In particular, you may know that uh, Putin and one of his um, uh, uh, deputies, a woman named Bielova Lvova, uh, or Lvova Bielova, I can't remember, Maria is her first name, uh, who's head of the sort of uh, children's um, uh, organization in uh, Russia, have taken tens of thousands of children, I mean, the numbers are, are disputed, and sent them off to Russia for Russianization. You know, some were forcibly adopted, put into schools and that sort of thing. This is very specifically cited in the in the um, Genocide Convention is one of those acts that can be seen as genocide, because what you're doing is depriving the nation of its children, right? And in doing so, committing genocide. So the ICC, you know, has actually uh, indicted Putin, right? The International Criminal Court has indicted Putin um, and uh, his deputy for uh, uh, actually, they've indicted them, I think they call it for war crimes, not for genocide. But they could be, you know, they could be held up for genocide, too. So Putin, in theory, is supposed to be arrested if he goes anywhere else in the world, right? Uh, because he's a, a committer of, a, of, a, of an international crime. Uh, so, again, if you said, and, and it, it's such a beautiful sentence, depriving a nation from its children, if this is the case, as you describe it, why would you consider this a more complicated scenario? Why can't you say, or why uh, you don't say, yes, I, th I think that what's going on okay. between Russia and Ukraine today is a crystal clear example of genocide? Because we don't know intent. I mean, we have a lot of, we have a lot of these statements. You know, it's not unlike, by the way, I'm, I'm going to use this as a kind of um, uh, example, you know, uh, this this document, which we may talk about, this 80-page document plus document that the, uh, the South Africans drew up against Israel, you know, cite various leaders and various people who are not in power and say, we want to, you know, we want to destroy the Palestinians, right? And they use that as, as, a, um, as a, um, an example for the intent of Israel as a state to kill the Israeli, I mean, to kill the 
the uh, destroy the Palestinians. Similarly, on the on the Russian side, you can pick out a statement here and there and say, okay, those are really genocidal statements, but is that really the intent of the government? And, you know, genocide is a very difficult thing to judge in process. It's a very difficult thing to judge in process. It usually, almost always, is judged afterwards, right? I mean, Nuremberg on World War II and and the Bosnian trials, you know, they were the ones who said this is genocide after Srebrenica in July of 95. You know, after some, I mean, Rwanda looked like genocide in the making, right? I mean, it was too, it was too obvious. But many cases, you know, you need evidence. You need, you need an argument. I mean, we want to be good scholars about this, right? And we want to put together um, the evidence in such a way that you're clear. So I'm I'm sort of I have to say I'm ambivalent about what's going on in Ukraine. I mean certainly initially, you know when there were all these massacres in Bucha and Izum and the bombing of Mariupol and that kind of thing, those were genocide-like acts. But then those stopped when the fighting you know settled into a kind of um, you know trench warfare uh, kind of uh, mutual. Um, grinding each other into the dirt, right? Uh, and and so genocidal acts like that stop. This case, if it's just children, if it's just children, I think it would be hard for a court to decide on genocide. I mean, genocide should have a very high bar. Uh, and uh, just taking children from Donbass, you know, to Russia, I mean, I consider it absolutely a crime, right? Uh, a war crime or maybe a crime against humanity, both, you know, which overlap a little bit. But genocide has to have a high bar. It's got to have more than just one of these acts. First of all, it seems that uh, in in the case of Israel, the bar is, is uh, extremely low when we are speaking about genocide. Extremely low. People say genocide, or you know, or, or, or describe the current Israeli-Palestinian conflict in terms of genocide that Israel does, and it's where where no intent can be proven whatsoever. Where the concept of surrounding people can be, where we have aid in trucks, eighties aid in aid in trucks that comes each day, and which is a very unique case in Gaza, the concept of non-hostiles, people who are, are out of the conflict, is rarely exist. And this is, a, a, I think, a very unique case in, in modern history where one actually cannot distinguish, you know, the military from civilians. We are, you know, I, I have many friends who fight nowadays, now in Gaza, and they say, we, you find it in every house, in every home, in hospitals, you find it in schools, you find it in kindergarten, you find it everywhere. So the concept of we have the military and we have the, the, the innocent population, the innocent civilian, which had nothing to do with the military, is complete bogus. It is, it, it's a tangled web in Gaza. But again, the standard in Israel is completely different. I want to go uh, to another, before I want, uh, before, and I would like to hear your opinion about what's going on in the, con in, in the concept, in the context of genocide in uh, Israel or Gaza, to, uh, 
to a term called eliminationism. Eliminationism, yes. So the idea is the Nazi is a good example. I want to kill every Jew, the final solution. And if you read Hamas charter, this is basically the same. We want to kill all the Jews. And this is a very, I want to kill every good Jew. And it seems that what the Turks did to the Armenian is not eliminationism. You know, they had political reason to do it. They didn't want to kill all Armenians on the face of, of the earth. So is there any distinguish, uh, distinction between eliminationism or genocide? And would you consider what the Turks did to the Armenian as eliminationism? Uh, uh, so there are a lot of things in there. Um, let me just say that um, uh, uh, there's we've just published the chief editor. There's a man named Ben Kiernan, who is at Yale, a three-volume world history of Cambridge World History of Genocide. Just came out the past summer. And in the introduction, we talk about uh, uh, eliminating and genocide. And we say the borders uh, between the two, you know, are um, very uh, fluid. And it's hard sometimes to distinguish between the two. Um, I think the way you're using eliminationism is actually a kind of an extreme of genocide, right? In other words, the way you use it, we use it differently. We use it eliminating a, you know, maybe a part of a population without the idea of, of destroying the whole population. That's how we use it. Okay, so um, please correct me. You're using it a little bit differently. You're using it as an, sort of an extreme of genocide where what you need, where the goal uh, is to eliminate all the people everywhere, you know, like the Nazis with the Jews. You know, eventually they would have come after the Jews in, you know, the United States and things like that, right? So that's very rare in genocide. That's very rare in genocide. Uh, usually the destruction of the nation doesn't require uh, the, the, the kind of, you know, um, destruction of everyone. Um, in the Armenian case, to me, is clearly a case of genocide where, uh, you know, the, the goal of the Ottoman Turks in 1915 was the uh, destruction uh, of the Armenian nation uh, in, you know, the Ottoman Empire. And they did, you know, what they could to destroy it, and they did. I mean, you know, the Armenians went fleeing, right, in various directions, including here in California. We've got a, a large Armenian population from the Ottoman Empire. Okay. Um, so uh, it, the case, what, what you're talking about really is is the, the Holocaust, which has some unique elements to it. I mean, I think the Holocaust is a case of genocide. You know, there are a series of cases of genocide. But it's one that has some very particular elements to it. And one was this idea, you know, that it's world Jewry that needs to be uh, uh, eliminated. Although, uh, if you look at Hitler's statements, you know, he talks a lot about European Jew. He talks a lot about European Jewry. And I mean, there's world and European. But in the 30s, you know, most of his actions uh, were about uh, getting the Jews out of Europe. So it was similar in that case to the Armenians. During the war, this changed you know, and became a much more radical goal on his part. So again, the Holocaust, I think, is a unique example because it wasn't it, it wasn't about just talking and documents and uh, and policies. They actually did it. 
and they did it like German know how to do things very well. But would you yeah. consider again the Hamas charter that calls for the the elimination of every Jew, every Jew, not not just a European Jew, but every Jew, also an extreme case of eliminationism or and if they can achieve what they what they declare in their charter they that they want to achieve is like the extremist case of genocide possible. So, I mean, I have to say to you, I'm not a, I'm not a student of Hamas, um, you know, or even of the Middle Eastern conflict or of Israel for that matter. Uh, you know, I study genocide and their, uh, their charters. I mean, the, the most recent charter, uh, you know, says nothing of the sort that you're saying. I mean, many of their leaders will say that. You know, and some of their people will say that. But the, the newest, there are, two, there are, I think, two Hamas charters. There's the first one, uh, which is more radical than the more recent charter. It does not okay, say so, eliminate so, Okay, so if... It okay, Jews. No, 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 no. Very good, okay? But let's say, because I don't have it right now and I don't have it in English, but let's say that if, okay, if Hamas charter is calling for the elimination or killing of every Jew possible on earth, this is an extremist case of genocide. Yes? If. Yes, absolutely. It's, it, okay. it, it is. It should, it should be outlawed and it should be, it should be tried and taken before international courts. In other words, oh. that is illegal uh, okay. by international law. And, uh, you know, they should be held accountable for it. I mean, it's not, uh, you cannot call for genocide. Of a people, according. By the way, let let me just say for a, a second that we we didn't talk about this, but the forty eight charter is about the prevention and punishment of genocide. The prevention. So a lot of it said a lot about of that of that the UN convention. People forget the idea is to keep genocide from happening, and one of the things that you cannot do, according to the Article Three, uh, is to. Uh, call for genocide and uh, make statements that um, are genocidal in nature. I want to move on to a, a relatively similar subject, which is what we call body count. Okay, How many people need to die in order for us to say this was a genocide? And if there are any number, so let me give you an example that I would like you, uh, uh, that I would like to hear your, your thoughts about it. We have genocide and we have like ethnic cleansing. You know, when the Hindu were cleansed from Kashmir, only 5,000 people were murdered or killed, but almost half a million, you know, were transported and the culture was destroyed. So do we need like a minimum uh, bar of people to die to say, yes, this was a genocide, or we can say, no, it can be genocide even with... 5,000 people because it was a cultural genocide. Okay, uh, so um, uh, again, not an, not an easy question um, and one that you know scholars and judicial people will argue about. If you if you actually look at, at the um, kind of history of how people think about genocide, you know generally they they think in large numbers of people. Right. In other words, it's not it can't be a dozen people or a couple hundred people or even a couple thousand people. I mean, a case that sort of complicated a lot of this was Srebrenica. 
So at Srebrenica, there were seventh, this was in Yugoslavia, July 1995, right? Um, there were uh, seven, 8,000 uh, Yugoslav men and boys uh, taken out and shot and buried in mass graves. Uh, in the courts, in the international courts, this was deemed genocide. Okay, so we're talking seven or 8,000. Why was it deemed genocide? Well, if you read the, the, the judicial proceedings, it's extremely complicated how they argue. But what they said was, bottom line, is that the uh, Serbs were out to destroy uh, the uh, uh, Bosnian Muslim presence in the region of eastern Bosnia known as Srebrenica. So in other words, it was a part of the Bosnian nation that was attacked. Actually, more people were attacked, and there's some scholarship which shows that you know the, the massacres were more than just in Srebrenica. But they decided that that was a case of genocide. And and that, you know, Milosevic, you know, the head of the Serbian government, I mean, he died in court, but he was being tried. Uh, for genocide that, you know, that happened in Srebrenica. So what that means is, in some rare cases, I think smaller numbers, you know, than 10,000, 20,000, 100,000, a million, um, you know, can be used uh, for a case in genocide. But it has to be very carefully constructed and very carefully understood. You know, for example, I mean, let's just, I mean, I'm going to hypothesize something, uh, you know, that uh, maybe I won't even hypothesize, you know, that Israelis want to eliminate all the Gazan. Some people have said is they, Israelis want to eliminate all the Gazan Palestinians. Well, that doesn't mean killing the Palestinians in the West Bank or the Palestinians who live in Israel. Right. Um, that would be part. Right. Or, or a small part, maybe even a smaller uh, group. Um you know, that would also be considered genocide, even if you're not going to destroy all all, all of the nation. And, uh, okay, I, 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 I have a lot of things to say uh, regarding this, and but with your permission, I want to ask it in a more two or three questions, okay? Because I, I want to arrange my thoughts according to what I can prepare with. Uh, so far, you said some of the questions were hard, so we are going to move on to harder questions, okay? And if you don't feel comfortable answering those questions, feel free to say, I don't want to answer, but I think those questions are extremely important. And again, I have skin in the game right now. I'm in Israel, my friends are in Gaza right now, so uh, those questions are not just theoretical to me, they are, uh, they are very relevant, okay? So a uh, part of the, a crucial part of the genocide process and the Dallas, the Dallas Holocaust Museum can, can show it is dehumanization. The idea is that you treat your enemy in a non-human way, okay? You can't kill or you can't murder and you can't, you can't torture another human being because you were created in God's image if you want to take it or any other evolutionary biology example or uh, explanation, but if you diminish your enemy to a bug, to a cockroach, to something non-humane, this is much easier, okay? Now, I have two questions regarding this. One is, 
in a war, every army, or most of armies, most of the time throughout history, dehumanize the other side. We have famous, you know, British song against Germans, uh, uh, Ger uh, German soldiers, and vice versa. And because some wars are justified, where do you draw the line between military morale and dehumanization? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question exactly. Uh, so, so, I mean, there are different kinds of dehumanization. Um, My question you, is, okay, okay, let, let me try again. You know, okay. in uh, World War II, uh, right. The British, the British soldiers had songs against the German soldier because part of every war is each side say everybody that the dehumanizes other side, everybody. Yes, right. everybody dehumanizes everybody. So where do you right. draw the line? If some wars are justified, okay, and this is part of the military morale, which is crucial to you know the process of fighting. Where do That's you right. where do you draw the line between? Okay, this is part of let the boys just have fun, like Stalin, and no. This you just crossed the line. Did I make well, myself you, clear? Okay, I mean I think that's a, that's a legitimate question, and it's one that every military, you know, struggles with. And my hunch is, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not, I can't claim particular expertise on this. That some militaries, like the United States military, and I would guess the Israeli military too, spend a lot of time with soldiers and in training, helping them understand this process and telling them, you know, you cannot uh, let those feelings be carried out in the battlefield and you will be punished if they are. Now, that doesn't always happen, right? We know in the Vietnam War, for example, Americans did some terrible things. They did some terrible things in Korea. But on the whole, I think, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time with our military uh, trying to, and, and they still do things, you know, in Abu Ghraib and elsewhere, right? We, you know, we have incidences of this. We spend a lot of time on that effort to get them to understand that there are laws of war and they cannot cross those lines. And my hunch is the Israelis do the same thing. Now, what happens in practice, you know, is frequently different. Um, you know, sometimes they do cross the lines of war, uh, of the, the, the rules of war. You know, and these rules are pretty clear. You know, you don't kill civilians. You know, you don't torture people. Uh, you don't, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, unarmed people who are surrendering need to be arrested, not shot. Right. Um, and so all of those kinds of rules are there among militaries. Some pay more attention, some pay less attention, some officers care more, some officers care less. So you'll get the violations. I mean, this doesn't have a lot to do with genocide, I think. No, 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 no. It, no. Has, to do, it okay. has to do with the rules, the rules of war. This was just the first part of my question. The, the second part, I think, is more related to genocide. But again, I, I, I want to just recap because I think that what you said is is uh, is important. The idea that every army dehumanized the other side, okay, and this was right. uh, uh, conducted throughout uh, the world, uh, uh, throughout history, doesn't mean it has to be like this. And That's right. uh, in modern in modern uh, democracies like uh, the United States, and I will uh, I will even argue that in Israel much more, we need to have a, another type of modern war. And part of the modern world in modern uh, uh, the 
democracy is, you know, train your people, don't dehumanize. I know right. that this is a, 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 an innate tendency and it is very, it's very natural, but act against it. Okay. And I think that right. this is a good example. Now, right. the second, rules. yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. now the second part of my question, I think is much more important. And again, it is heavily related to what happened on October 7. Do you think that there are some acts that your enemy do does that make him subhuman? Okay. And, and it's like, you, I don't want to treat the Nazis like human. This is a very clear and a, a, a clear example, but maybe after what we have witnessed and what uh, what Hamas did, and not just Hamas, even uh, innocent Gazan civilians who just crossed the border and slaughter and rape and torture and, and poke eyes and everything, and we have everything on tape, on camera, so, these are the water atrocities humanity have ever seen in the in in 4k so maybe some acts you know take you out of the family of nation and you are should be dehumanized this is a much harder question well this is so uh, you know there are a couple of interesting aspects of this i just had a conversation yesterday with a young researcher who's working on self-dehumanization and what he means in genocidal situations. And what he means by that is that sometimes people themselves will look at themselves as animals as they're undertaking these actions, right? In other words, they dehumanize themselves while they're you know, engaged in these horrible, horrible actions. I don't obviously don't disagree with you uh, in that, but they're not. They're not subhumans. They're not animals. They are humans, and and so we have to understand that this is what humans, what can be, what humans can do to themselves, or what humans, how humans can act under horrible situations. I mean, I've studied genocide, right? And you study what happens. Uh, not just to the perpetrators, but to the victims in some cases. You know, people who are the victims. What happens to these communities? I mean, and, and what happens to people? You know, we, we have these terrible, terrible accounts, you know, of the hunger, for example, in 32, 33 in Ukraine, you know, where people are killing their own kids and eating them. Right? I mean, you you can't blame them. I mean, I blame Hamas, right? I mean, I blame these these people. But but on, on one level, you know, they're all human beings. And and we, so we have to try to understand as best we can. Again, as scholars, I mean, I realize that... Uh, you, okay, okay. You know, it's I understand that Israel has suffered a trauma and that there's all kinds of... Um, you know, there's all kinds of... Um, mm legitimate emotional and 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 psychological reactions to the horrors of what happened uh, 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 on October 7th but um but uh these are all human beings and so you know our job is to understand how human let, beings can act like let, animals let me phrase it differently because i think it's very important and what you said i think is correct it's not animals that did it it was human beings and you need right. to absorb you need to digest the idea 
that what right. the Nazis did is part of what, you know, what human beings are capable of doing to other human beings. And I That's think right. that you are absolutely correct about this. But my question is, you know, usually we are in, inside the Gaussian, we, we are in the norm. But maybe when some acts of human beings are so out of the norms to the far left or the far right extremes or of anything possible, you can't imagine worst atrocities that what we have seen. Maybe we need to treat those humans differently as humans. I say, okay, this is not part of what I can consider uh, legitimate and even non-legitimate acts of violence. This is way beyond, this is way after. And I'm going to treat you, you are, you are a human being, you are not an animal, but I'm going to treat you uh, profoundly different. Can you say something like this? I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. I, I think this you know. Would you put them? You put them on. You put them on. If you can, you grab them. You put them on trial. Uh, you uh, you know you reveal what they have done, and you put them in prison for life. I mean, I don't believe in the you know the death sentence uh, either. Uh, I mean, some people do, some people don't. I just I just don't buy the death sentence. I think what you you know for the worst crimes. I mean, we've got the horrible monsters. You know who have killed children and things like that, and and in some states in the United States, they will be electrocuted, right? And in some states, they won't. They'll serve a life in prison. They're horrible individual human beings who have conducted these terrible, terrible acts. But they are human beings, and they do. Um, you know, we, we are. You know, the Lord says, "Don't kill them," and uh, and okay. so I, you know, you put them on trial. And and uh, you reveal what they have done, and you try to understand so that you eliminate the conditions that bring humans to this kind of act. Now, in some cases, it's just psychiatric; they're crazy, right? I mean, that 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 does happen, but more often than not, it's not psychiatric. It's you know, it's uh, something that happens in their lives, or something that you know that the way they perceive the world, or that kind of thing. I, I, I you you know. It, I think it leads me to, I wanted to ask you, what did Lamkin achieve? You know, he wanted to prevent the second Holocaust, but nowadays uh, we see people that are blaming Israel and not Hamas in genocide, and the international institutions are completely rigged against Israel. So what genocide we have prevented using Lamkin's definitions? And, and, and I think which a question that even interesting interest me even more how can people blame israel and people can take the side of 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 hamas and not israel in this current conflict when dealing with genocide okay so um there's a lot in there a lot of questions in there but i, I just want to make clear that lemkin himself did not was not just about the holocaust he was about human history he was the first in my field. In other words, he wrote comparative genocide history, and he took it back all the way to the beginning too. And he was uh, very interested. And even by the way, the um, the uh, preamble of the genocide convention says genocide takes place in all places, uh, on all parts of history. So let me just say that. Uh, second piece was about, well, let me just jump to the third piece, which is the toughest piece, you know, which is accusing Israel of uh, of genocide, but not 
seeing the awful crimes that Hamas did, which could also be considered genocidal in some ways. Uh, um, I don't think it is because they're not, you know, that, I mean, if they could, yeah, they would eliminate and they should be put on trial. But 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 they can't, right? I mean, Israel will stand and the Jews will stand. Um, so you, the, the, but they can be punished or should be punished for calling for genocide against Jews. That that is clear, and and then for undertaking these horrible acts. Um, you know, <coughs> your question is a difficult question, and, and because it goes back to the whole history of anti-Semitism, first of all. I mean, I think, you know, one of the hardest things to explain to young American Jews, you know, is anti-Semitism. I mean, Israelis maybe don't under, uh, Israelis understand it better, but but uh, young American Jews don't really understand anti-Semitism because they grow up mostly without it. I mean, I grew up, up until with... Up until October 7, after October 7, many things in the U.S., I think, dramatically change, even in the context of anti-Semitism. No, no, that's right. That's right. That's right. And uh, and there's a there's a, um, you know, in part of the American left. Again, this is not my field. You know, I study genocide and and but I'm a citizen and of, of this country and of the world and a Jew. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, in this country, and part of the left, you know, sees the Palestinians, even when I was a student. I, mean, I remember from my student days. Uh, you know, this is the 1960s, saw the Palestinians as a national liberation move, right? As a national liberation move, you know, sort of like South African, you know, blacks. They were trying to liberate themselves from under the yoke of the Israelis, right? Since that time, and this is right, we're talking 50 years, 60 years. This is not new. This is not October 7th, right? Um since that time, on the American left, uh, there has been a lot of anti-Israeli uh, feeling, uh, having to do with the fact that you know the the they feel that the Israelis, you know, have not done their job in trying to allow the Palestinians their own state and giving the Palestinians you know room to breathe, and that message, you know, is also adopted by people who are sometimes anti-Semitic. You know, for example, within the the within the um, uh, African American you know movement, the civil rights movement, there was many Jews who supported it, but there was also an element of anti-Semitism. You know, the idea that Jews you know are are, are whites who were oppressing them as well, and so you get this um, this history. You know, which leads into then what happened on October 7th. Now, what happened afterwards, you know, is also uh, not an easy thing uh, to digest. And we're still digesting it in this country. You know, why is it that, for example, our university administrations have been so wishy-washy, you know, about what happened? Protesting well, against Israel in Shabbat of October 7th right. before Israel even striked back. People, no, some of right. my students, some of my American students' friends just took off their, their mezuzah because they are afraid. I have many friends in the U.S. who were uh, ordered by their community, don't wear any uh, Judeo uh, uh, features that will say, oh, he is a Jew. And this is not, he's not an Israeli. They are looking for right. 
Jewish that's why I'm saying, people. That's why that's why I'm saying it's it's uh, you know it's linked you know to the history of anti-Semitism, and it's hard for, you know, and it's one of those periods in at least in American history again, you know, Europeans too, I think. Although I was in Italy all of the fall, and I think it was less pronounced there, but they were worried there too um, in the Jewish community. Um, you know, it's one of those periods where anti-Semitism, as a result of the conflict in the Middle East, you know, has has been allowed to, you know, I won't say flourish. I don't think that's the right word, but it's been allowed to raise its ugly head again in ways that are very uncomfortable, not just for Jews, but for others, too. You know, it's um, it's something that we thought we had done away with. Right. And uh, yet there it is, uh, ugly and nasty, and um, uh, um, and it affects then what happens after October 7th, when the Israelis try to defend themselves and try to get rid of Hamas, you know, as, as I, you know, they should. Um, you know, we won't talk about the, you know, this, the, this, uh, you know, the South African indictment right now. We're going to hear about that tomorrow, by the way. We'll find out tomorrow what the what the court is going to do with that. But it's, it's, uh, it's so absurd. It's so absurd that South Africa blaming Israel. It, 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 I think it's like it's, it's, it's an upside down world. And my question, I, I wanted just to ask you, as a genocide expert, as a Jew, as a remote viewer of what happens now in the Middle East, in, not in Middle East, in Israel and in Gaza, can you... Would you consider the acts of Israel, again, entering aid in trucks and have over 100 hostages, including babies, while maintaining, to some degree, you know, electricity and water in Gaza and entering medical equipment to Gazans and entering fuel? Would you consider any of the acts of Israel as genocide? As a genocide expert, I'm I, I'm just asking as a genocide expert. So um, you know, I have a I have a dear colleague and friend, uh, Omar Bartov, who is an Israeli, who has said, and I think I agree with him. Uh, I mean, I've thought about it a lot, uh, and I can't come down hard and say no, it's not genocide. I can't come down hard and say yes, it is genocide. What he says, I think, is the right thing to say, which is that we still don't know. And if things get worse, it could be crossing the borders because so much of the destruction, again, I don't have to repeat to you, but 25,000 people, right? 7,000 missing, you know, another God knows how many, 15 or 20,000 injured Palestinians. Um, you know, you cannot, we cannot destroy all of those people because of what, you know, this... Hamas group and its people did. Hamas and 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 innocent civilian Gazan people who just yeah. walked worked from from the torn border in the in the day of October seven. Not just Hamas member, but right. just innocent innocent civilian Gazan. You cannot. Who, you cannot it, but but that it's a horrible. Th Nobody's going to say how that this wasn't a horrible thing. Not a single person. But it's I not think. just Hamas. My the, point is, it's reason. not just Hamas. No, no, I understand. I understand. But you cannot, you cannot take out two point three million people. It's as simple as that. And if 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 
it, it just it just doesn't work. And that would be that would be genocide. And so uh, w- w- where are the lines? Where do they stop? Uh, will they ever stop? Um, you know, this is something I didn't like that document, the South African document, because it piles one thing on top of another. I don't know if you've read it, but it's a uh, it just piles one thing on top of the other. Good evidence, bad evidence, hearsay, actual statements. It's an unfair document um, and, and it's not constructed correctly. But there are some truths in there. Uh, and those truths, um, uh, it, it, you know, can be used in uh, a, a genocide indictment. So, you know, I would say, I think, you know, sort of actually like Bartov, I think I, I agree with him, that there's a, you know, the, there's too much going on that's like genocide. And therefore, it's got to stop. You have to find a way to stop it. Well, my Israeli friends will say, wait, but you got to get Hamas. Uh, you know, this is this is a this is a policy and moral and um, and uh, political decision for Israel. It's not my decision. Right. I mean, but but if it were my decision, I would stop. I would just stop. I would say that's enough. You know, we can't we can't not we can't destroy these people anymore. But that's that's me. And I'm sitting here in the United States. That's not you. That's not your friends. Uh, in, you know, but I okay, so I understand that. Let me let me put it differently. If South Africa decides that what's going on in Israel, in Hamas, in in Gaza right now is genocide, you can write a new chapter in your in 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 the new uh, in you know the in new the version of your book that this is a very strange uh, example of genocide where the people who wants to kill. All the all the Gazan sending aids and trucks and medical equipment and this is a very unique form of genocide that we have never witnessed in the course of history would you agree um yes and no I mean they're always first of all they're all all unusual all unusual and uh you know I mean Jews, Jews lived in Berlin you know during the Holocaust you know who were married to uh German women who were um you know who converted I mean the men converted or so you know so there's always something there's always exceptions there's always funny things that happen during every genocide that make a difference we talked about Srebrenica you know seven eight thousand men only boys only I mean as many as seven or eight thousand but the the point is that every genocide is different and everyone has different each case has different components to it and and contradictory ones I mean some contradictory ones you know the let me just use Rwanda as an example you know supposedly what was happening there is who two were killing Tutsi uh well in point of fact there were plenty of uh there were plenty of Tutsi who were also killed I mean Penny Hutu who were also killed. So you know you get these you get these um mixed sets of problems in every genocide case. I don't think by the way let me make it clear uh, uh I don't think this is a case of genocide. I do not agree with the South African document but I'm worried. I worry a lot about what's coming. And and uh I I want it to st- I, I personally would just like it to stop. Yeah. So I have another two very short questions. One, if 
people, and I think I including myself as one of those people, that thinks that Gaza has no future in the Gaza Strip, and maybe the best for them is and have and is to live to other places. If this is the case, and if many Gazans actually believe in 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 this theory, why is it immoral for for Israeli or for even you know to the United Nations to seek for other places for the Gazans to live? Again, it's not the West Bank; it's just the Gaza Strip. It's not all Arab, all all Palestinians. Just you know, why is it immoral? to pursue good future for the Gazan civilians in other places of 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 the world. So um, I, I consider you a, a very nice man, a very interesting man. I watched some of your broadcasts before I did this, but I think that's a horrible idea. I mean, it's a horrible idea. So please you do cannot, explain. You cannot, you cannot, by international law, remove a people from its homelands. In that way, I mean, you're, it, 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 it's, it's, it's. But a, if they willingly form, want to do it, but if they willingly want to do it, you know, this reminds me a little bit of people who wanted to uh, also, you know, put the Jews in Alaska during, the, you know, during the Second World War. Madagascar, you know, the Germans at yeah, some point yeah. wanted to send the Jews to Madagascar. Well, you know, the Madagascar, they would have all died in the goddamn swamps, you know, with malaria and that sort of thing. Nobody wanted to go. There's there's not a it's not as if, they, you know, you could remove two million Palestinians, you know, to Germany. I mean, that's not going to happen. And um, it's not or to the United States. It's just not going to happen. It's not or to other, uh, you know, Middle Eastern countries. It's not going to happen. You, you, you cannot do that. What you have to do, and it, it's extremely difficult. I don't underestimate the difficulties. There has to be some kind of political settlement. There has to be a multinational, international. Israel is obviously a major piece of this story, has to be sitting at the table. I don't think it's going to happen with this government. But, you know, uh, uh, there has to be some kind of political settlement. You know, I understand the problems with the two-state, you know, solution, which people are saying is not going to work. A one-state solution is not going to work. Removing the the Palestinians would just be awful. It would, you know, already what happened in the in the so-called Nakba, you know, in '48 was not nice, right? It was not a good thing, and most of the historical work now demonstrates fairly clearly, not so much genocide, which some people claim. Um, uh, but a form of ethnic cleansing. In other words, they drove them out of these towns on purpose. I mean, it was intention. Uh, yeah, because and, they wanted to kill all the Jews. But okay, but uh, anyway. And and my last question, because you are an expert not on genocide, you're an expert on Stalin. How come left-wing genocide is almost always ignored by intelligentsia? And you know, it's always right-wing genocide, and you are an expert on left-wing genocide, on Stalin. You wrote two books on this particular subject. How come we always, you know, treat it nicely, always ignore the left-wing? And do you think October 7 changed it in some way that people saw, you know, there are some very bad, profoundly bad things with the left? 
Um, you know, I agree with you. And uh, um, about this, the question of comparing, you know, left-wing and right-wing source genocide, right? Or Stalin and Hitler, or Soviet, you know, uh, killing with Nazi killing and things like that. So um, there's a real problem on the left. There's no question. And um, that problem has a lot to do with how they look at their own societies. In other words, how people are critical. Take the American left today, which is very critical of its own society, capitalism and you know, influence of big corporations and all this kind of thing. So that, and, and also white domination and or theory, theoretically white domination, all this kind of thing. And 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 they transpose. There's a very good book about this called Political Pilgrims by an old friend of mine now passed away, Paul Hollander, uh, who talked about uh, how people would see the left abroad, see Stalin as a kind of positive force because their own because they were critical of their own countries. So so they would they would kind of be utopians about about what was going on in the left abroad. So that that's a, that's a major part of it. You know, it's people's own view, own place in their own society and 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 therefore they look for, you know, escapes and and that's that's what happens. Now, I don't think by the way October 7th um will change much in that uh in that um direction in fact it's only exacerbated a little bit that same that same phenomenon you know where uh people are sympathetic to hamas and so they tend to forget you know the terrible things that hamas did on october 7th they just tend tend to and then what of course what what's happened subsequently with the destruction, now we've seen what three months of, um, you know, the bombing of, uh, of civilians, the you know, the, the the death of children, all this kind of thing, which is on our television every night, right? It's on our televisions every night. I don't know if it's on your television, but it, you know, what goes on and of course it's on my television, but it's also just a second. It's very important because also in my television, say that the IDF has like pamphlets and say, go to this part of, of Gaza and nobody will touch you. This is another, all the people who stay in North Gaza, okay, after the IDF said, get away from there and nobody will touch you. By the way, many Hamas leaders and many hostages were moved through this, you know, like humanitarian uh, tunnel. Yeah. This is, again, we must, we must be clear that even even though many horrible things happened to Gaza right now, and you are absolutely correct. You know, the IDF say, listen, all civilians, please move, move south and nobody will, nobody will hurt you. This is a very unique case of fighting in the course of history. We also need to say this. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying, but, but, but again, it's very important to understand that that's not what comes you know, even the, I can't even remember, the, the New York Times stories, you know, are increasingly uh, negative. Yes, it's not, you, you can't, you know, see, you is, can't uh, see it on the New York Times. You are absolutely correct. You are yeah. absolutely correct. You can't see it on the New York Times. 
Very good. Yes. So, so and, and also in the evening news, and even in even in public uh, television, especially in public television, you know, which tends to have a center left bias, uh, which is you know that's what it does. Um, you know, you will get this. Uh, you will get this uh, story. So the Israeli story, uh, you know, becomes less and less salient in our media. Uh, and the story of the suffering, the real suffering, right? Uh, I don't want to minimize it in any way of, of the Palestinian people uh, becomes more salient. And that, you know, that it's become part of our election. It's become part of Biden's problem, you know, in the Democratic Party, um, because he's seen as supporting Israel uh, excessively and, and more, every day that goes by more excessively. Um, uh, you know, I don't know how the, uh, Trump hasn't said much of anything, but he he was pro pro Israel. We don't know what he is right now. I don't know where he is <laughs> Israel, but but um, uh, but the but the point is, um, you know, it that that's another reason that this has to stop. You know, that a political solution has to be found, at least again from my perspective, because it's distorting, also how the world is looking at Israel. You know, Europe. Germany, I just read a bunch of articles about Germany. You know, the Germans have been very good about supporting Israel. They've been really hard, the political class. But beneath that, you know, is a growing discontent uh, with uh, what the politicians are doing in Germany, you know, uh, in their pro-Israeli stance. And, you know, the German left can be very powerful uh, if it sticks up its nose. And that could happen too. So I, I just think Israel's you know, it's not it's a world situation that they're involved in, not just wow. a situation for trying to deal with Hamas. Wow. First of all, I want to thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom and for your thoughts and for, you know, uh, explaining many things to me. It was a mixed I, I, I end this conversation with mixed feeling because it was fascinating. Uh, but, you know, I have like this one quote for Aristotle. The mark of an educated mind is the ability to entertain a thought without accepting it. So I, you said it must be stopped, and I think to myself, no, it must be accelerated. But Norman Neymar, thank you so much for your time and, you know, shedding some lights on this very important subject. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure to be here. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And in terms of your last remark, I understand it perfectly. I mean, I don't have any, you know, I, I, I have no argument with what you're saying, because on one level, yes, it would be nice if it would be excelling, but it has to be over. It has to be over one way or another. It's got to get over. Okay. Thank you thank so much you. again.